Hi, this is your host, Sophia Vidal, on the fourth episode of The First Cut, where we interview top medical professionals getting answers to your questions, which you might not have had the opportunity to ask, especially during this pandemic. I'm very happy to be joined today by Mr. Richard Baker. Hi, uh, my name is Richard Baker. I am a consultant general and colorectal surgeon at Leeds Teaching Hospital. Uh, I'm also the clinical director for the abdominal medicine and surgery department uh, in Leeds Teaching Hospital with 25 years of doctoring under my belt and 15 years as a consultant. Hi, Sophia. So Richard, what does an average day at work look like for you if there is such a thing? Okay. Uh, well, I, I would. I often consider myself to, I've basically got three different jobs, um, similar but different. So my main job, I think, is being a consultant colorectal surgeon. Um, so my typical day as a colorectal surgeon, well, there isn't a typical day, but there's a typical week, which I'll come back to. My second job is um, clinical director, which is a managerial and leadership role, um, which is very different from my um, consultant surgeon job. And my third, if you like, part-time out-of-hours job is my um, private practice, where I am obviously a surgeon in, in that role, but um, work outside of the NHS um, in the private hospitals in Leeds. So we're probably not so interested in that. Um, so my typical week as a general and colorectal surgeon, um, so I do about two days of operating, uh, and that's combined between um, big... I mainly do cancer work, so big cancer operations. Right. Um, so we do one or two of them most weeks. And then as well as the big operations, we also do um, smaller operations. So day case type procedures, um, things like hernias and hemorrhoids and fissures because a very glamorous job of dealing with people's bottoms <laughs> um, as part of my role as colorectal surgeon. So, so about between one and two days a week of, of operating and that's as a surgeon that's my favorite time right um i also do um, endoscopy so camera examinations uh of people's bowels and people's stomachs um so i do a a list or two so half a day of endoscopy most weeks which not all surgeons would do but it's something that that i've always done and, and i quite like um so it's something that i was keen to to hold on to um now i also do um one or two or three clinics a week so basically if you get referred with a problem with your abdomen or your bowel or your bottom then you would come and see me uh, in the clinic environment so you know you come have a chat figure out what's going on perhaps have an examination there and then and then i make my decisions as to what what we're going to do with the patient from that so i would send them off for a test or i would put them on the waiting list for an operation or send them off for an endoscopy or whatever's whatever's required sometimes just discharge them with some reassurance and advice so that that would be one or two days um sorry one or two sessions of doing that um in in a week and then all of that work generates um some administration so i've got to kind of yeah. you know collect the results and work out what's going on so there's a bit of paperwork to do um and that's the kind of clinical aspect of my job now the the other things that come with being a consultant uh, or being well come, come with being a doctor is the the requirement for um continuing personal development and personal education i've got to keep up with everything that's going on so i've got appraisals every year i've got revalidation right. to make sure that i'm um 
today and appropriately trained to do what I do. So there's a, there's a certain amount of work that we need to sort of just tick through, make sure that we're up to date with things uh, in that respect. So mandatory training and um, reflections and feedback and, and, and things like that. So there's an administrative element to that, uh, which is a sort of, you know, week in, week out, needs to be done kind of stuff. Um, and then many of us would choose to do something else. So I mentioned that if you like my my extra chosen bit of career is is around management and leadership. But um, other, in my time before I did this, I would do a lot of teaching. Um, so teaching medical students and teaching more junior doctors, nurses, pharmacists. Um, so that's that's a big part of my role as a consultant um, so you've got so many different components yeah, of what well, that, you actually which is do what makes it great yeah so what's that, the most challenging aspect of your job as a whole well the most challenging bit is to actually sort of juggle all that lot and squeeze it into an appropriate time and right. um, so a lot of it's difficult to there's a lot of time that you're looking at your watch and thinking i'm doing this thing but i need to be off to go and do the next thing um and that and, and squeezing it all in is is, is time management right not taking on too much of it accepting what you you can and cannot do uh and dropping stuff that you, you know you can't give the appropriate time so um so teaching is you know i really love teaching but it's not something i do anymore particularly uh or not in a formal way because i've got other stuff to do um so the challenge when you are younger is is getting the skills so the challenge of getting the knowledge getting the experience there is a, a really interesting sort of time in your life if you like so so when you go to medical school you do lots and lots of learning you you, you know, absolutely swallow up all the books and every little scrap of information you can get your hands on you think is in your head and you come out um and you feel i'm quite cocky so maybe this was just me but you feel as though you kind of know about everything you're a doctor yeah. and comes to you and says oh you're a doctor can you tell me about this pain in my foot or this pain behind my ear or this pain in my shoulder or whatever and you kind of think oh well, I, you know, i've read about these things i know about these things i can tell you anything and you're, you're very much a generalist at that time okay and then as you get a bit older and you, you you specialize in your thing you become all the other stuff you you kind of start to forget about and you, you feel as though you're not a generalist anymore and you, you're more of a specialist and you feel more and more uncomfortable about people asking you about other bits and bobs of the body. So, so there's a part of you sort of neglect the other bits that you've learned, but then there's also, you realize with, with hindsight that you thought it was an expert in everything but actually you weren't, you really wasn't. Because well, I think I that's am. more important definitely to, to specialize and know a lot more about one particular yeah, exactly. smaller so topic. You know, so I, yeah. I would hope that I know most things about the bit that I specialize in. And it's, it's an interesting revelation when you get to a point where it's, do I not know about this because I don't know about it because I've not learned it or experienced it? Or do I not know about this because nobody knows about this yeah you know, what is the best thing to do with this thing you know do you do a or do you do b or do you do c and, the, and the, there are points where you think oh i don't really know i know that there's a number of options here but i don't know which one is the best and when yeah. you're less experienced and more um you know you don't have the knowledge it's do i not know this because i don't know it or do i not know this because nobody knows it so it's like hmm. 
and that's a that's a really nice sort of almost like transition into becoming an expert you're at the, the forefront of it yeah trying to realize that you know it's just about deciding you know you've just got to make a decision and so the stress stresses and strains in your earlier career about are about getting to that point if you like and um, so now the stresses and strains of my later career about you know sort of keeping up with that and making sure that um it stays interesting if you like um yeah. because it can become very samey uh, but as you've heard my week is is very variable so that's that's quite nice um and and just kind of is it's that balance between you want to be challenged but if you're too challenged it becomes very stressful yeah you, know, you want to be stretched but you don't want to be stretched into an area of discomfort if you like so with these dilemmas how do you go about making a decision when the course of action isn't clear cut so you need to then then it's about okay what's the benefit and what's the risks of of this thing so what are our options so for example um so if someone's got a blockage in their bowel okay so say they've got a tumor or something like that growing in their bowel and it's got to the point where the bowel is blocked nothing can get through so we've got a number of options that we have can, another treatment options that we can do at that point and evidence wise it's difficult to know what the right thing to do is so we can we can operate because ultimately most of these things do require an operation but to do an operation on somebody when they are unwell when their bowel is blocked when it's happening as an emergency and nobody knows what's going on or how fit they are or whether they've been eating and drinking properly in the run-up to this, you know, there's lots of risks associated with doing that operation. So there's a benefit to it and there's a risk. Another option would be to put like a stent into the tumour. So to put, you know, it's like if the tumour grows and closes the bowel up, we put a stent inside and open it up and things can flow through. So that's, that's another option. Now that's a much lesser thing to do to somebody and if they are unwell and they are frail and they're not eaten and all these other things then maybe you kind of think mm, well that would be better than doing an operation but what's the risks and what's the benefits so there's so benefit. you just weigh everything up yeah so you look at yeah. the risks so it's risk the and benefits, pros and risk cons and right so i weigh it up and i have a view and much most a lot of the time i've got a clear view you know i I'm, i clearly think this is the right thing to do but in the modern world the person who's in charge is the patient so i i will then go and talk to the patient and say look these are the options that we have this is the benefits of this thing this is the risks of this thing this is the benefits of that thing this is the risks of that thing what do you want you know what what for you what is the yeah. important thing here um and that's that's something that's become much more um during my career time that that involvement of the patient in the decision making is is absolutely front and center whereas perhaps the generation before me would have very much made those decisions without real recourse to what the alternatives are so it's all about, so the the overarching thing that we would describe this with is about consent you know what is the patient consenting to do and consent is about understanding the risks understanding what you're trying to achieve understanding what the alternatives are um, and understanding what the goal is so it's you know the, the consent is is absolutely front and center and my job is to know what options i can present to the patient to know what the risks and benefits are and to be able to 
communicate that in a, in a clear way so that people can understand and um, and make their own decisions and clearly so along with um, patient autonomy what are the uh, other kind of things that are changing for medicine in the future gosh what isn't changing um so technology obviously has a huge influence on on what we do um information so you know i spent so many so much time learning stuff that's in my brain um putting it into my brain in a, in a very laborious way but now um most of the information that i need is in my pocket on my phone if i want to you know just to tap into the internet and, and get an answer now you, you know of course that interpretation of those answers and knowing the right question to ask is really important so so technology is massive both in terms of information communication you know the ability to to talk to people like we're talking now um the ability to signpost people to information you know, just say look you know you, you look at this and you read this and this is this is the place to look so that's that has a huge influence on things um the change in population so you know the what we would have considered 50 years ago as somebody being old is now you know so people in their 70s if you like so that yeah. old um, three score years and 10 that's your lifespan 70 years that would have been considered old but you know if you ask my parents who are in their 70s do they feel old they'd be like no chance um, so that's changing um, people's kind of expectations around their health so it's you know nobody wants to die of an unnamed disease anymore they want a diagnosis at least yeah the uh, expectations have gone up a lot yeah absolutely uh, and rightly so um at the moment we i think certainly in the uk we're fairly blessed in terms of the um the cost of things so we we don't well, we do front up the cost through our taxes but we don't front up the cost you know through our own pocket it doesn't bank unlike other places yeah. yeah um but cost is is an issue you know where there's a limited number of um pounds in the in the country there's a limited amount of tax that people want to pay you know they, they make their choices by voting for for that so so we do have to be um financially responsible because the technology available i i would always want the absolute best kit ever to treat my patients but can we afford that or do we is it acceptable to compromise do you is think the government funds the nhs uh, a fair amount do you think it gives a good proportion of the taxes to the nhs oh that's a that's a killer question isn't it um it's the nhs will swallow whatever you throw at it right so it, whatever money you will throw at the nhs we will spend it absolutely no problem at all um i think that we have to put that so for example in, in countries like um like norway and sweden they their taxes are higher and what they put into social care and health is higher and what they get out of it is is better um, you know their their system is much better funded and we need to make a choice as countries to whether that's what we want um so as, as an nhs doctor i would always say yeah we're always going to need more funding absolutely no doubt whatsoever but ultimately we're going to make a decision as a country do you want that money in your pocket yeah it always have to be a compromise between it yeah or do you want it in the in the social system looking after you um so it's you know there's never enough 
Yeah. But it is what it is, and that's always been the case. And if you read a, a, interesting things about the history of the NHS, or really kind of old people who worked in it for a very, very long time, they will tell you that the NHS has always been in crisis. You know, it's mm. always never, it's always not had enough money. There's always not had enough staff. It's always not had enough beds. Um, and that's the way that we kind of function, if you like. Um, so there were there were periods during my career where um, the generosity of funding did seem to feel to make make a difference. You know, so there was times when a lot of money was thrown at the NHS. There was consequences of that. You know, some some would argue that um, the whole austerity thing that we had to go through was as a consequence yeah. of excess spending prior to that. Um, so who knows? I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't. I don't feel myself politically inclined <laughs> enough to really sort of want to stand on my soapbox and start talking about that. <laughs> so going through med school, were there any defining moments that drew you to your specialty? Um, probably, yeah, individuals who I found either entertaining or inspiring. Um, right. Which... And and moments of high high excitement and drama, which were surge, which were surgery. Um, so in particular, dramatic kind of surgical things going on that I witnessed. Um, didn't particularly understand what was going on at the time, but thought, gosh, this seems kind of fun. You know, it was exciting. They were the people that were doing it seemed like big characters, and you know, there was a lot of fun and a lot of kind of action if you like um so yeah. that very much drew me towards surgery i wasn't particularly i didn't particularly know which branch of surgery i was interested in how did you finally decide then well a little bit by accident um oh. a little bit sort of yeah it's kind of you've i was a bit annoying uh, i annoyed myself because i was like um i was sort of i don't know whether you've got you've ever you've got dogs but I was that kind of like oh yeah I love this this is great I'm definitely gonna do this is the best thing ever and then I move on to the next thing go oh, yeah this is this is great I love this. <laughs> best thing ever and yeah. I did that sort of two or three through two or three different jobs um because at the time you you were able to do a sort of surgical rotation through different specialties you still can to a certain extent and it was about like I really like this, this is what I'm going to do and then move on to something else I really like this, this is what I'm going to do um, so that I kind of thought, well, I'm going you know, to make a decision here. And then, and then after that, it was just opportunity. So it was very much, um, it, I mean, when I look back, it was it, when given a series of questions, I always chose the, I don't want to say harder, but the, the choice was like, so, you know, there was one point in my life when I thought somebody tried to put me off being a doctor, saying it's too hard, blah, blah, blah. Why don't you be a dentist? I was like, mm, maybe, and then, you know, I thought, no, no. More no, challenging no. path, yeah. But yeah, I don't mind hard. I'm sure being a dentist is equally challenging, but that's that's the way it was put to me at the time. And then it was like, you know, you go to um, go to medical school and then you make your choices after that about, you know, do you want to do surgery or medicine? And, and, and you know, to be kind of just a bit sort of silly about it, but, you know, at the time, if you were a surgeon, you started at eight o'clock in the morning. If you were a medic, you started at nine o'clock in the morning. And, you know, it's like, well, I'm going to be a surgeon because not because we start at eight o'clock, but that's a hard choice. And that's, you know, that's long hours and that's tough exams. And I'm going to do that. I don't mind. And then it's like, well, what sort of surgeon are you going to be? And it's going to be, well, could be a plastic surgeon. I quite like that. I could be a 
neurosurgeon, not sure. And then I thought, well, general surgeon, and there's a pragmatic element. There's a lot more general surgery around than there is some of the specialty surgical things. And so I did general surgery and I liked general surgery um, and opportunity. So the, the person I worked for at the time said, listen, you know, what's your, what's your thoughts career-wise? I'm like, well, I'm not really sure. I don't know. We're just kind of trying to work it out at the minute. So, well, we may have an opportunity for, for a research job. Um, and at the right. time to get to go from being a surgical SHO to being a surgical reg, there was a, there was a big bottleneck at that point. It happens in, you know, there, there are times when there's lots of people applying for a particular role. And then there's times when, you know, there aren't so many people and it, you know, kind of a wave as to enthusiasm and, and interest. And then it becomes very, very competitive. And, and then ultimately that ultra competitiveness puts some people off. So it kind of wanes and then it's not so competitive and you get in a bit easier and, and it goes in cycles. So at that time, the very competitive bottleneck was between senior house officer and registrar, as it was called at the time. And um, the only way to make yourself more competitive was to do research. So at the time I wasn't particularly mind, I wasn't minded towards research in any way whatsoever, but it was, it was opportunity. This particular person was a colorectal surgeon, um, and and he was great. He was like a real, he was a professor. He was a mentor. I found him quite inspiring. Um, you know, he was interesting, and he had an interesting life. And, I, and you kind of think, well, I, I wouldn't mind doing that. So that opportunity was there, and then so I did um, an MD, a lab-based research thing, looking at colorectal cancer, and then then suddenly I'm you know badged myself as a colorectal trainee um just by accident because that's happened to be my project and i got into it and i was into i learned about i learned how to do colonoscopies and i learned about bowel cancer and you know became a sort of little niche expert in the silly little thing that i researched so you just kind of get into that world and never really kind of went away from it um some people would say i'm going to be a general surgeon but even then your options are do you be at the time was could you be a breast surgeon you could be a, an upper gi surgeon you could be um, a transplant surgeon um you could be a pancreas surgeon you know all these things are still there yep. uh, yeah but colorectal is one of the biggest specialties so again there's a pragmatic element to it you know where am i going to get a job at the end of this if i yeah. do something too niche then i make that harder for myself um it looks very planned if you look back at my job timeline it looks very organized and very planned but it it's so sort of, it was just opportunity really so how does your daily work and lifestyle compare to that of the other specialties? Uh, I think it's equalised up a lot. I think there was a time when there were certain specialties that were absolutely flogged to death um, and surgery was historically notoriously one of them and other areas where it wasn't quite as, you know, you weren't flogged in quite the same way. I think that that has equalized. I think there's been, a, thankfully, a lot of, um, you know, a sensible direction of travel in terms of hours limitations and, you know, work-life balance is, is a much bigger part of people's lives. And the, the expectations, and it was a bit kind of, you know, there was a, and there still is to a certain extent, a very kind of slightly macho, slightly, you know, I can work harder than you yeah. culture. Uh, which wasn't desperately helpful um, and but I think that that's I hope that that's gone away now and um, therefore a lot of the specialties that would have been different 
back in the day have probably equalized such that they're not so different from each other now. Um, so, so what do you think will be the biggest issues for the next generation of doctors? Um, I think that you need to separate being a doctor in, in your mind, being a doctor from being an employee of the NHS, right? because the two are synonymous at the moment in the UK. Um, you can't really be a doctor anywhere else. You can, but there's, there's limited opportunity. And sometimes being an employee of the NHS is has its challenges um, and you mustn't, I think it's important not to conflate the two because, you know, being the doctor is is great. You know, it, it offers so much in terms of that. It gives you challenge. It gives you interest. It gives you something different. It gives you if you're in if you like people, if you like talking to people and you're interested in people's lives, it gives you an absolutely unique um, opportunity to understand you know get into people's lives and know what they're talking about in a way that you couldn't do you know you, you couldn't do that in a in a pub or sat on a bus or you know what I mean you just the, the questions that you get to ask it's a unique people, experience yeah yeah it is amazing it's like you know within five minutes of meeting them you're asking them about well whatever you, takes you fancy really uh, after you've asked them about their bowel habit and their <laughs> piloting and what they eat and such like and then move on to you know what's your family circumstances and what, what work do you do and yeah and you can explore it and any and then people open up and you have these great conversations with people um which is it, you would never have um under other circumstances so that's that's the clinic side and then i have the uh you know the practical you know, some people would enjoy i don't know doing something with their hands you know they would their hobby would be uh, sewing or making clothes or doing some sort of woodwork or DIY and that's their that's the thing they do for fun um, where I get to do surgery which is as much fun as any of those things uh, you know it's really fun kind of thing that's not I'm not answering your question though what was your question the challenge what's the challenge for the next generation and um, so I think yes yeah, so separating the NHS and the being a doctor and working for the NHS because the NHS I think will will change and will continue to um, to be there but I think it will there's a certain um, you're going to have to fight to protect that which is not the same as being a doctor yeah um, I think that things like artificial intelligence um, people's access to information uh, will make your role as an advisor as much as a you know this is what you you are, I'm going to do for you. This is what you need to have. You know, there's going to be an element of, well, these are the options. This is the information. Come back to me and tell me what you want me to do kind of thing. So I think that that, that adjustment to almost being like a, like an advisor, a sort of, you know, a mentor to, to patients to guide them in a certain direction rather than being quite didactic about what needs to happen. I think that as the population ages, that will bring new diseases as the, our ability to treat things differently will, you know, there will be a lot more chronic disease, long-standing disease. So, you know, a lot of what I deal with, which is one of the attractions of surgery is a lot of it is you have a problem. I will solve your problem. Then we will say goodbye. Yeah. Um, whereas many specialties and things like GP, you know, they, they have a, a lifelong relationship with, with somebody 
and some chronic diseases that, that don't go away but will be controlled in a way that different to what they've ever been so people will live live with them you know people will live with cancer people will live with um autoimmune diseases whereas in days gone by they would have died with them and you wouldn't have this ongoing relationship so i think that will be that will present a new a new side of things um I, i'm a cancer specialist first and foremost and i think a lot of the uh, focus on the focus in my career has been curing the cancer if you like for obvious reasons um but i think we need to learn how to do it better so that the consequences right. of that cure people can live with um so we're not you know we can't sit back and say well i've cured your cancer and you say yeah, but look at the state you've left me in you know and there's been an element of that historically and we need to get better at what the, the phrase we use is survivorship so actually giving people a better survival post-cancer life um there'll be a big focus on that and i think things like radiology um you know reading x-rays and, and scans and, and such like the ability we have to diagnose and look at the anatomy of things all this kind of stuff will will be absolutely transformed it's transformed in, in my career you know i don't have to do a lot of clever diagnosing really uh, most of the time I, there's a scan or there's a blood test or there's a something or other that will do it for me um so diagnosis is not as big a part of of being a medic as it as it was certainly a generation before me you know 50 years more ago, treatment the, focused right no scans no blood tests so so the diagnostic element will will change um so yeah i think it's it's absolutely fascinating it's not going to go away as a career i would certainly recommend it so if you were go go back to medical school here, how would you change your approach to it? Um, I think I would not worry so much about the direction that life was taking me, if you like. Right. I think that, you know, you worry a lot about got to get this right. Otherwise, your career's over kind of thing. And I, I would I'd not worry so much about that. I'd just let fate take its course a little. A little bit more um i i couldn't have had much more fun at medical school but i could have worried about how much money i was spending a bit less um i think yeah because <laughs> uh, things like that seemed like massive deals at the time but in retrospect weren't um and i think recognizing that you're do are you doing your a levels now yeah yeah yeah, I think recognizing that every everything you do is the biggest deal in the world until you've done it, and then the minute you've done it, it's there's another thing that comes along that's the biggest thing. It's just yeah. irrelevant. Yeah, and so each one of these things is just a stepping stone to get you further down the road, and you've just got to take what you know what you need from each each of those stepping stones and move on and sometimes if it doesn't work out you know it is only a stepping stone and there's another way around or there's another go at it yeah. um you know if you, if you don't pass an exam if you don't get a job if you don't get the right place at you know on a course or whatever it's just you miss that stepping stone there's another one you know to the side or whatever so i think just recognizing that it is just um one step on a journey each one of these things Although at the time they all seem massive, and they still do, you know, it doesn't go away that that feeling. But just recognizing that it isn't the be all and end all. So, what do you think um, are the right and wrong reasons for wanting to go into medicine? Um, I think 
you need to the right reasons if that you genuinely like people if right. you if they make you smile um so you know kind of even the there's people who are not pleasant to you but there's a sort of um, a certain amusement almost to be had about that just why are they so unpleasant just like um i think you've got to like you've got to have a a bit of that sort of fight for the underdog thing you know you've got you've got to sort of yeah. be able to see past the you know the the challenge that a, you know a, an alcoholic or somebody who's confused or somebody who's got dementia you know the, these all these people are offered the, it's a challenge for you to deal with them because it's hard you know it's hard to communicate it's hard to understand but i think you've got to have that sort of human compassion that you like you don't you don't mind that you can see the bigger picture um i think you've got to be be accepting that it is a work-life balance is one thing but it does kind of define you to a certain extent which is quite nice i quite like that you know you sort of to, to lots of my non-medical friends you know being a doctor is part of my sort of persona if you like um and I think that you've got to sort of embrace that a little bit. It's hard to separate, okay. you know, your, completely your work from your life because there is a certain nice status that it gives you being, being a medic, but also a certain responsibility that goes with that. Yeah. Um, what was the other side of the question? The right and wrong reasons for wanting money. to go into don't, medicine. Don't do it yeah, for money. Yeah. Don't do it for status. Um, don't do it because, you know, someone's telling you you should because it's tough you got to want to do it yourself so i'm not sure if you have um any, any kids richard but um would you be happy for your son or daughter to go into medicine uh i do have children yeah um yes i would i, I wouldn't push them into it because like yeah. i say you've got to want to do it uh but I, I would be happy for them to do it yeah so do you consider what you do to be a vocation yeah definitely do you love what you do most of the time <laughs> <laughs> no i do it's, it's amazing i mean the doctoring is great yeah there's other stuff that comes with it which is difficult at times uh, but yeah i do love what i do so before med school do you have any other like kind of career path in mind that you would have taken if not medicine um not really um i was early doors I thought about other things, but kind of once I sort of went in a science direction, then um, it was medicine or dentistry really was I had in mind. So have you have you got any particular highlights of your career so far then? Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, it's just uh, not not sort of any sort of massive standout moments, you know, when you get in these various kind of postgraduate degrees and things like that there's a lot of pride in that you know when you finish your md which is hard fought when you get your um you kind of call yourself a mister because you're a member of the royal college of surgeons these are the sort of the milestones if you like so i've got one last question for you today uh mm -hmm. and that's if you could pick any superpower what would it be superpower oh my goodness me <laughs> um <laughs> to know what the other person's thinking Okay, telepathy. 
that will do yeah yeah okay thank you so much richard for your Pleasure. time today it's been amazing no, yeah thank you so much okay. it's been well, good, so good helpful you doing? thank you so much it was great talking to you today